0: All right, episode 23, we're talking about Spotlights and their new album, Alchemy for the Dead. Before we get rolling, let's do some quick
1: intros. Blake, you want to lead us off? Yeah, my name is Blake Carrera and I'm from IWAS.
2: Is that me next? Sure. Chris here, guitarist for Stay Dead.
3: Bucky? Bucky Brown. I work construction, (laughs) but uh, just, just a fan, so... Doom charts alumni and do some stuff with Ripple music from back in the day. So, right on,
4: Eddie. I'm Eddie from Lords of the Opium Church and The Endless.
5: Hey, I'm Pat from Monster. I am Rob uh, from
3: Astronaut,
0: cool. All right, spotlights a little different from our usual choice of album, not necessarily in the Stoner, Rock, Doom, anything that we've really been talking about. So interesting choice. It was kind of just proposed to the group and we voted on it and it came up the winner. must be an interesting album. Lots of different stuff going on. Not our usual choice. So uh, a little bit of background on it. It came out in April of this year. Um, The band Spotlights is from New York. They've been out for a little while. I think maybe around 2014, somewhere on there, they started putting out material. So anybody familiar with Spotlights and, and why? And what made this album a good choice for the Fuzz Club?
1: Uh, I was mostly familiar with this album and the uh, the one that I believe preceded it from 2020, we We're All Atomic. Um, very different albums. I haven't delved into the rest of their discography at this point. Um, and I intentionally didn't really look up much about the band itself um i tried to just kind of take it as what it is um and to me it's interesting because it's got that kind of shoegazy element to it it's got a doomish type element to it um i i, I wouldn't necessarily call it doom per se mm-hmm. um but it's got some of the sonic fixtures of doom you know um and especially on certain songs like "Sunset Burial," you get some really, really aggressive guitars in there, yeah. um, and it's kind of scattered throughout. Um, as well as, in, in all fairness, and I should probably be the one that says this, the, the vocal modulation is is definitely a, a feature of Doom.
3: Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it referred to as kind of in that Doom gaze category. So you said shoe yeah. gaze, Doom, kind of Doom gaze. Kind of makes a little sense. Because it does have that shoegaze. That, that's kind of what this album especially, it, it kind of ticks that button for me. Like the Tones era, kind of turn of the century type. There's some stuff that kind of had that flavor to it. It definitely had some
0: tones moments for me. Like not really knowing spotlights before this and just <laughs> jumping into this one. I was like, oh, there's some tones to it. But a little bit, not as like maybe
3: i don't know mainstream Spirit, not as maybe like yeah yeah a little bit a little more chuggy guitars and like the bass the bass tones what kind of stood out as a is different like a um, like reverberated or like i don't know what the how to describe it like really low but like a rumbling bass that was kind of different it's kind of echoey echoey like re- reverb or something i don't know if that's mm-hmm. what it is
4: like, probably like, reverb. maybe sure. She's, she's got a, a huge pedal board, like all the cons. She uses the guitar pedals actually, and she do not really care about if it's bass pedals or guitar pedals. I was watching a rig rundown from her, from the band, and she has a crazy
0: effect pedal board there. Yeah. So before, it's we, get far, pedal board. before we get too far into this, um, Mario from Spotlight sent me kind of like this mini documentary on this album. Um, and it was like 15 minutes long and, uh, I tried to get him to to record a little bit of something for us. And, um, he said, this kind of says everything we need to say. So I, he, (laughs) he said I could edit it down, which I did and probably mangled the fucking beautiful documentary that they made about this album. But I tried to get it down to about, I think it's like five minutes. So it does explain some of that. It goes into the guitar pedals and the the bass sound and that kind of stuff. So I want to play that before we get too far into it. So, It's like five minutes long, so so stick with me here and uh, ignore all my shitty cuts and whatnot.
4: I think being an artist or doing anything with art, it's a combination of like thinking everything you do is amazing and thinking everything you do is horrible all the time. doesn't matter how dark music is or whatever the theme is I think what we get out of music is way more than just the literal meaning of it all. If people are connecting with it on that level then it's worth doing. It's hard to say what exactly like kind of molded the creative intention for Alchemy for the Dead. I'm always kind of like searching in my head for textures and sounds not necessarily like songs or parts or anything but just like how I want something to sound I was wanting to change things up from sort of what we'd done as a band on record you know with like kind of the bigger real open roomy sounding drums and kind of just big epic guitars and like still contain that thickness and energy but tighten it all and make it kind of like gnarlier and and fat and you know
6: for me alchemy for the dead when it hit it hit the hardest the feeling the theme it's beautiful and ugly at the same time you know the way I explained it to a fan they're asking us like what the new record is kind of going to be like and this is before Mario and I even like communicated about a theme or a feeling or anything i had just been pounding the demos into my brain and I told the fan, I was like, it's like a piece of velvet laced with gold, you know? And when I told Mario that story, he's like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. And we never communicated that before.
4: I can't believe we're finally recording this song. I know, right? <laughs> it's been... Uh, uh, what,
6: 2014? 2014,
4: yeah. The Alchemist which is track two on the record, is like, the first minute of that song or so is really what encapsulates that idea that I had. You know, you have that little beat at the beginning and then when that bass, you know, it's a doubled bass comes in. It just kinda like fucking eats the speakers, you know? It kinda just like, feel it pushing out like it's gonna break but still real
7: tight, you know, so it feels kind of like claustrophobic and like heavy. We really tried to push the boundaries of what we normally would do, and that also involved playing drums and cymbals totally separate from each other and not together. And so for non-drummers, that's extremely uh, difficult to do. (laughs) because you have to like try and figure out what is physically, humanly possible without actually doing it live. So you have to like play the drums with like no cymbals, just like, you know, you have to pretend there are cymbals there and just hit the air. And then when you're done with that, you have to listen to just the drums and then hit the cymbals where they belong. And with the kind of stuff that we're doing, it's not like always like very straight drum beats. It can be complex. (laughs) And we did that because Mario is a professional audio engineer, and he had a great idea of how he could make the drums sound different in ways that, like, you would not be able to make them sound if they were performed live in a typical fashion. That also involved using different drum sets on different parts of songs, different toms, different cymbals. To me, the sounds are always more important, and I think that's why we are able to work together the way that we did on this record and have it work.
6: For me, you know, I get a tone in my head for specific parts, and I just search it out.
4: Play a little bit, let me hear that. Oh. Yeah, that sounds
6: like And once I find it, I'm done. I'm like, oh, that's it. You know, it's like, I don't need to keep digging and fucking around. You can still hear, you
4: can like hear
6: the string still, you know? You don't think it's too fuzzed out? I don't think so. The notes are a little clearer. Technically all my pedals are guitar pedals, but it doesn't matter. It's doing what I want it to do. You know, some people get so specific or purist about it. You know, it's like, you can do whatever the fuck you want. And I think people like that about my approach to pedals. Cause I don't know all the technical terms for the what the fuck's going on, but I can explain to you exactly how I feel about it and why it works for me. And that's all that matters. For me, I wanted to invoke and provoke emotion, and I want you to feel me and hear me, and I want to make this song what it should be. There was no focus on me. As a bass player, my focus is on you, and how can I make you feel, and that's all that matters.
7: As you get older, you start to sort of think about like how these things resonate in your life so that you look back and go, oh, I'm." really proud of this thing that i did and so if you can understand that like that is the dream there is no dragon to be chased if you're in a van driving to another city to play a show or you're recording with your friends and making music that you like if it's like happening that way you're fucking
0: killing it Alrighty, i think that answered um Quite a bit of what the people that send videos along typically put in there—some gear talk and inspiration and stuff. So it was a pretty cool video that Mario sent along. Uh, like I said, if you want to check out the full thing, they have that full documentary. It's like 15 minutes long as opposed to like five. So uh, thanks a lot to them for sending that along. It was pretty cool. A um, couple things that I got from that was like her playing bass on guitar pedals reminded me a little bit of like Caius playing guitar on bass amps, you know. Stuff like that, and I don't, I don't think we have any drummers here, do we? But just the, the way they recorded the drums and stuff like that was interesting. Um, but just being kind of like a band that goes in and experiments, whereas a lot of the bands I think that we've talked about so far have been bands that are live bands, and their live experience is kind of the the appeal to them, and the record is almost secondary sometimes. Where this kind of seems like a band that goes in and really tries to experiment and clarify that sound that they're looking for and I I don't really have any idea what they sound like live so anyway any thoughts on on what we just watched
8: I definitely I think it described the uh how we were talking about how the bass sounded weird doing that double tracking and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um I definitely noticed that the drums sounded weird like they were like gated or compressed or something and him describing it that they played it that way Makes it make a lot of sense because things were like really abrupt and like didn't have organic decay on the notes and things like that. And it sounded, I was like, "Is this a programmed drums? Like, what is this song? Like it?" And then specifically that second track that they were talking about that like embodied the sound of the record. Like the drums on that one specifically, I remember being like, "What's going on here? Like, it sounds like a kit, but it it feels like programmed drums." I don't know, which honestly, at the end of the day, I got to be honest, like that kind of stuff, as cool as it is in the studio, it bums me out as a music fan because I know I'm not going to get that experience when I go see you live. So that's kind of unfortunate, but it is cool to have on a record, you know, it's like putting samples and stuff that you know you're not going to use live. Like there is that little bit of, you know, you're putting it on a record, so might as well have fun and do what you want. But there's also the other side of that coin is it's a bummer, you know. The, the drums aren't going to sound like that when I go, you know, my buddy of mine actually did. I think they were just uh, touring with the Melvins and um, um, God, who else were the Melvins just touring with? And Bungle. Bungle, there you go. I'm pretty sure Spotlight's opened up that tour, didn't they? I think so. Uh, and I had a buddy that came back and was like, they sounded like frat boy Torsch. And I was like, Okay. <laughs>
1: I mean I think it's interesting because that technique of recording the the drums and the cymbals I've never
8: even heard of that.
1: Well that the only thing that I can think of in in my memory of of you know listening to podcasts and reading books and stuff like that is is that Joy Division's first album they recorded each segment of the drum kit separately. So like there's one track that he was literally just hitting the snare and then the next track he's hitting one tom, and then the next track he's hitting another tom. That's and wild. The next track he's yeah. So the first Joy Division album is was made in even more like of a particular way for the drums. Yeah.
8: I mean, it's a really cool idea, and like I totally get it, and I love I love the experimentation of it. But you know, like I said, just just me as a music fan, like it's you know, I guess ah. just being a negative Nancy in general. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I, I really appreciated this video because when when I first listened to this record, all I heard was like industrial shoegaze, and you guys kept saying like, oh, it's doom gaze, and I that just like wasn't the vibe I got until we heard that isolated bass line, and that bass yeah. was so fat and it was so yeah. heavy. That it's definitely so not weird.
8: a doom album, but it's there's like doom no. flavor sprinkled in there for sure. Yeah,
5: and I finally picked that up in in that uh, documentary.
0: After watching that video, I kind of had to go back and listen to the album again and listen for the the bass sound and stuff. Like that's just probably just something that I just overlooked a little bit the first time through.
3: That that video it kind of I just listened to the album like an hour before like the whole album. And that video does kind of explain a lot of what I was hearing. Like it's definitely I was thinking this is very like they were using alternative techniques to record how all the instruments sounded. They sound it sounds really cool. There's so much going on like beneath the surface like you're not your traditional rock and roll sound at all it's yeah, not, a, not this is all, not a rock and roll band at all like at least not video the video kind of proves it it's it, and i kind of like i like their attitude like the, mm-hmm. the bassist is cool <laughs> just not giving a fuck about like the purist and like i just do what makes me feel good and yeah and it's kind of cool so
8: that's the best attitude to have
3: yeah yeah, uh, so I I I, res- I like them more after watching just that short snippet. Those so, albums music- always helpful. they is- sent
8: along one for the uh, Fairy Ring album, and it kind of like helped us get a little better perspective on some of the things that you know, not necessarily I don't think we didn't like, but just didn't understand about the album.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I I I, I was just gonna say something similar. Like when we get those videos from these bands and stuff, with a little bit of clarification, maybe a little bit of inspiration just even just a little bit more information. It's just like you, you have this like better perspective on the album and like it helps me kind of listen to it. And it's like it takes all these different pieces. Maybe it takes like a podcast like this for some other listener to appreciate an album. Maybe we're doing that for someone else. But even for us, like hearing their the band's perspective gives us like a better ear towards it and stuff. And I can't imagine how many albums that I've listened to and completely dismissed because I didn't have that other information first. Yeah, and I mean, just been like, oh, I don't, I don't get this. This sucks, and just like moved well, on. And like I, maybe if I would have had a little something else to go along
1: with it, I would have like felt a lot differently. I don't know. I think this album is is kind of, in certain ways, it, it's rewarding, but it's also challenging at the same time. Because one of the things I was thinking about was, I was like, who is this album for? Um, it was it was for me. It, it was is Pat. Well, oh, <laughs> yeah, they made it for Pat. Pat is a giant industrial shoegaze fan
3: the industrial the industrial i i didn't think
1: so but this album i I really dug this yeah um but you know i i was just thinking like because in terms of if you think about the the scope of albums that we've done you know you can be like all right this is for the doom fans this is for the stoner fans this is for this or that or another you know we we've easily been able to kind of be like this is what this is um for the most part Mm -hmm. um this album is a little more ephemeral. Like, if 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 I was having to describe this to someone, I have no fucking clue what I would uh, what I would say in terms of like, yeah, this is for fans of.
8: It's all over the place. It. I was. I was it's think, all I, over the place. I was it's thinking like, 90s vibes, like 90s grunge vibes, like early 2000s Deftone vibes, like there's sludgy industrial vibes. There's like. My bloody vibe. vibes at times, like there's, it's all over the place. Like, like I think, I think they made this one just for them damn selves.
3: Yeah,
8: you know what I mean. Like they just got in the studio and they were like, we're just gonna fuck around.
3: Yeah, it, it, I was thinking the same question, Blake. Like, who, who is this catered tour fan <clears a band throat> base? And I, and I was out mowing the lawn right before this, and I'm like, it's too weird for like doom, stone, or metal fans, mm-hmm. but it's not weird enough for the Like the weird the weirdos who like the weird shit. Yeah. It's like in that middle ground. (laughs) Mm
8: -hmm. Weirdos that
0: like the weird shit.
3: It took every single person on this podcast
0: a few
8: minutes to get used to the album, I'm sure. I know. Just talking to the group chat the past couple days, it was been nobody really knew how to feel. We were all kind of Taken back on this one. we all kind of been on our toes a little bit.
0: What's so funny about it is that like a, a lot of us were like, man, this is out of our like normal, like wheelhouse. This is not now my new, I didn't know this band. I'm not sure how to feel about this album, but it won the vote. I mean, we did vote on it. <laughs> Someone so, fucking voted yes for it. And, well, and that's, that's what makes it cool, I guess. And, and we went
1: for it. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty to, to think about with this album. You know, you've got, you've got the instrumentation, you've got the production. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not big on paying attention to lyrics per se all the time. If I, if that's more like if I have the vinyl, then I'll, I'll read the lyric sheet and I'll be like, Oh, that's what that song's fucking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the vocal style is, is a whole conversation topic. You know, th- this is the kind of album that you can actually sit down with someone and be like, what, what do you think of this? You know, what, what, was that. You know? That was kind of why I voted for it, because I thought it would be like a,
8: a nice onion to just peel for a while. Yeah,
2: And yeah. really pick it apart, this one. Absolutely. didn't you have some saxophone thrown in there, like what? Yeah.
8: I was waiting for someone to,
3: that that was on my list to talk about. That one that. was
0: that yeah. was what on uh, was it Sunset Burial or was it a different one? I don't really no, it
3: know. was on uh, False Gods. Yeah, okay. I think it's like the fourth
8: track. Yeah,
3: it, it
0: felt so random the first time I was listening to it, but I I I really liked it, and like I don't know that I would normally say that about a lot of saxophones. I, I almost anymore. think
3: that that was like the highlight track for me after like just that whole that whole section of that song like damn that really worked well and i'm yeah. a i'm a fan like the sax that's like a love them or hate them or a lot of that they get a lot of scrutiny but it's been coming up quite a bit more often like these days in, in, and yeah, and ruby the
0: hatchet
1: you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. pat what's that other band eight foot man child is that what it's called
5: oh yeah the one with the yeah the uh what did they call it doom bass or doom no, brass the- doom, doom brass, bass. yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that <clears throat> we talked about the saxophone in the group chat. I, I called out that that line um, right after it, and there's or right before it. There's no use in looking up. I think there's a lot of like really understated, tongue-in-cheek sort of lines like that throughout this record. The the lyrics, like Blake was saying, are, are really terrific in a lot of places.
2: Yeah, it is. A, it's a beautifully crafted album for sure. The production quality is top-notch the musicianship of you know the members is amazing Um, and that's weird because it's way outside my wheelhouse of listening for sure
5: I, i was a little frustrated on the first listen because i was i was really waiting for like some sort of crescendo or, or high point on the album that I could really like root to um, as I'm, I'm listening to it on future listens. And so I was a little frustrated the first time around. And then what I found is like every song sort of has its own little crescendo mm-hmm. inside of it. And there are a lot of different journeys that that you can go on in each individual song. I mean, to me, it sounds like the, the soundtrack
1: to the missing sex scene from The Crow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Can make
5: babies to this.
6: <laughs>
1: yeah. You
5: know, got that's, to, that's gotta go in the social post, right? I was I was just clip. Gonna, you know, I was just that's gonna say clip that's a
0: clip, <laughs> clip that. We're gonna, clip that. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, you're right, Pat. Like the some of those, like each song has a little like either toward the end or the middle, like the, the guitars and the and the bass combined, like there's some pretty aggressive moments that just like yeah. pound in, pound you. And then it kind of goes off in its shoegazy kind of, like, territory. But it, it, it it's pretty heavy in parts. That without was that started,
8: like, I felt like. Like, it started out, like, that first track out the gate that, is just, like, a sludgy. Yeah. You know, that, it just comes out swinging. It's just haymaker after haymaker. And then it goes into track two, and it's this, like, industrial, almost electronica kind of. It was a, a, like really a weird, like,
3: to this. Mm-hmm. I don't know want do ether that that oh, yeah. first track I had I was trying to I, I was the same way that first track just hits hard like sludgy yeah. it reminded me of when uh, crowbar covered no quarter it has like that no quarter kind of mm-hmm. like ring to it just super kind of grind yeah. and heavy they yeah, just marching and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
8: definitely. And it was just, it, I feel like that just the way the album started would just like set you up perfectly for how the whole rest of the album was going to go, where it was just this like juxtaposition of like heavy, sludgy riffs with like weird, like 90s shoegazy. y. It, it was strange. We'll see. It's a strange combination, it- but it worked out pretty well. Does
0: anyone want to define shoegaze before we get into this? Because we say we've said it a lot so far.
5: Weird.
1: <laughs> Still a little. So shoegaze branches off from metal and grunge in the late '80s, early '90s. It's kind of epitomized by like "My Bloody Valentine."
5: Um, Blake, do you have do you have the story
1: on how that name came about? "My Bloody Valentine." No uh, shoegaze. Shoegaze. Oh, I have. I'm guessing because it was a bunch of weird kids who liked Sonic Youth and they kept staring at their converses.
5: (laughs) They literally would not look up on stage. They would not look at the the crowd and so some journalists picked out shoegaze. Yeah. They were were shoegazing as they performed. Yeah.
1: So I mean it's it's characterized by waves of distortion, uh of reverb. Yeah. Like ambience. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, think of it as I mean, if if you want to simplify shoegaze to to almost oversimplify it, it's like ambient grunge.
8: Kind of like it's also, the term is also kind of morphed because of like, it's so just like these waves of distortion and reverb and all these, it's a thousand guitar effects. So the shoegaze is also you just looking down at your pedal board the entire time because yeah, really your pedal board is your main instrument, not your guitar.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, it's big open chords a lot of the time. Um, you know, and shoegaze has, has found its way into a lot of different genres. You know, like Bucky mentioned, doom gaze, there's, there's the mixture of black metal and shoegaze that people call black gaze. Um, that's, that's pretty, I know what you're thinking, Ryan. <laughs> what? I didn't say anything. You, you made it clear. <laughs> let, let, let's, 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 let's mature up a little bit.
0: This is not that. the podcast. We talk about <laughs>
3: black gaze. All right. <laughs> <laughs> just that gaze after any other already existing genre and it's it just yeah gives it a different feel
2: i can tell you that this add album gaze, <clears throat> gaze. they lost me in a lot of that shoegaze ambience kind of stuff but when it whenever it came back into that grindy bass like i was like oh here we go
3: the, and the, drums, too. the drums were were weird like like you mentioned rob like i i picked that like it sounded really weird, but the drumming was really had a really good groove and like worked well with that bass. Yeah, it was a
8: really is really, the drums were super interesting, and it was that was kind of like the make or break for me. Like when I like couldn't really decide if I liked it because it was something. So I was like, it was just like either super gated or super compressed. I couldn't really figure it out. I'm like, they're doing something because that's not just a drum
1: kit. Well, and they also and like good. to
8: hear that they recorded it that way. That makes perfect sense.
1: Hmm. It makes I, me like a little bit more because I was kind of like, man, those drums. Yeah. Same. I do guess that they used a lot of not just straight up reverb, but reverse reverb throughout this and reverse delay. <clears throat> um, you know, those those are I, I heard that at a couple points and I was like, oh, that's nice.
8: Yeah, I can appreciate it. I mean, it being a huge pedal dork myself, I can always appreciate when I can, you know, listen to an album and. Like, oh, that's a really cool combination of effects that I wouldn't have thought of. Even down to like, you know, there's like phaser on his voice for half the record, even probably more, you know, like stuff. I wouldn't have made those choices, but it's cool to, to hear somebody else do it.
3: I was yeah. I didn't like I didn't look into the band. I'd never like I didn't look into lyrics or the history or anything when I'm listening. I when we watched that video just now, I was kind of surprised it was just a three piece for whatever I reason i didn't yeah. even like put two and two together but
0: I, I i don't know anything about the band either and i i thought that when i look back at like their first kind of uh ep or album or something that i thought maybe it was even a two-piece at that point and yeah. i don't know how long that lasted or if that was the case up until recently or not but yeah two or three for sure because well,
3: there's so many so many different sounds going on like in and out like the recording and the production like or like the drummer said it's it's an art project almost like yeah. the whole thing's very artistic so you know, my, production
1: may, may i read like at least the beginning of this uh spotify bio because i feel like this will kind of shed some light on a lot of things and make some sure laugh. of course so it says two musicians husband and wife duo mario and sarah quintero simply pick up their instruments and mainline dense distortions spacey soundscapes and unnervingly serene vocal transmissions directly from the heart. This unpredictable yet unassuming sound quietly heralded their arrival in 2016 on a DIY debut LP Titles. Brooklyn Vegans stumbled upon the project and streamed Walls, the song eventually entranced musician and producer Aaron Harris of Isis and Palms, uh, who shared it with his Palms singer and Deftones frontman, Chino Moreno. Mm-hmm. um an invite to open the deftones summer tour followed as the band would go on to share the stage with everyone from melvin's hum and glass shot pelican and Paul Bearer. ipecac recordings fell under the band spell and signed them and then it goes on so you know that i i felt i felt like that kind of tied a lot of the things that we were talking about together
0: yeah it was and- a lot of our like we i mean we brought up deftones you brought up the, the two of them we brought
1: up a lot of those things so that yeah, you know, and and their description of the dense distortions, spacey soundscapes, and unnervingly serene vocal transmissions—you mm-hmm. know—I mean, uh, sums it up pretty well. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much what you're getting out of this album and out of this
5: this band for the most part. Mm-hmm. Their their bio on <clears throat> on Facebook is also pretty on point. Atmospheric bludgeoning um, from Brooklyn, <laughs> New York is how they describe it.
3: I was getting, like, filter vibes, too, like, like, like mm. late, back in the 90s. And... There, were, there was a lot of 90s, like, nostalgic kind of tinges to it, for sure. Like, I couldn't were, pick like, up. There were, like, the direct filters. vocal
8: patterns and parts where I'm like, man, that really sounds like. And I like, couldn't. I'm like, is that a Smashing Pumpkins song? Like, what is that? Like,
3: mm-hmm.
8: where there was, like, it would just give me, like, when you, like, smell a smell and you're, like, immediately back in eighth grade. It was, like, that feeling. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm skateboarding, listening to Nirvana again, you know? Like, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So a couple of you guys had mentioned before we started the podcast, you know, some of their other albums, and and we didn't get into it a whole lot. But um, I don't know their other material. So anybody want to take a shot at, at some of their other material and how they've changed, matured? I'm sure as we we always bring up um, how this one compares or what they've what they've done over the years.
1: Yeah, I mean the album that Bucky's grabbing is the only other one that I've listened to.
3: This uh, was the one, and this was uh, it was part of the post wax. Series, the series one.
0: Oh, really? Interesting. I, I had no idea they had that that connection to. Yeah, uh, it was
3: the Jad and everybody. So Jad, yeah, he picked up on them. Wow, okay. it was the last chapter in the post. So they do, they one. do
0: have their toe in into the scene a little, a little bit. I mean, for me, mm-hmm. it was kind of like a, a stretch, but they they really do kind of have their
3: their toe dipped in there a little. Yeah, and that's Water. real. That's where I discovered them like blake said i think that was when you the first one you'd heard yeah that was the first one i'd heard my, my and it was to me it, it was weird when it like it was different when that hit the street too it was like man what's this is kind of different so what does that one sound it, like, like uh, compared to i think it's heavier than this one a little yeah. bit heavier a little less experimental i think yeah. like
1: especially less experimental on the drum sound and i would say less experimental on the overall production it's um, still got that gaze it's, def- it. it's definitely got a lot of gays to it. Are there black gays in there in in this? I wouldn't say much. black gays. Oh, okay, not not many. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs>
8: just good old fashioned regular gays,
1: regular gays. All right, <laughs> but um, you know, there's um, one of the things that I, I I actually prefer about We Are All Atomic versus uh, I think it was We Are All Atomic. Yeah, We Are All Atomic. Versus Alchemy for the Dead is, is actually the the production sounds a lot different to me. <clears throat> um, this one, like I would say, my my biggest complaint with this album was that the production wasn't really for my ears. Like I could tell that it, you know, I like something with a little more uh, raw edge to it, um, and th- this is this is like so polished that it, it's very beautiful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I,
0: I just keep coming back to Tones in my mind because they, they have yeah. such a polished sound especially nowadays like they've gotten more polished as, as years yeah, go, go on there's and a lot
1: of smooth like, like he was saying in that, that clip about you know essentially I mean what he's talking about is compression Is what I was getting from that at least um,
2: do we know who or where this was produced just out of curiosity
1: I think that Mario did it
2: he did it himself
0: yeah he does. he does that so I would assume that he did Okay.
1: yeah so i mean it's not the it's not that the production was bad by any means mm-hmm. um it, it was just like I, in my personal taste i prefer something with a little bit more of an edge to it and this had a lot of polish to it mm-hmm. this
8: is also like a little bit outside of our wheelhouse i don't know many other bands that sounded exactly like this but like i'm sure within their genre it's probably the proper amount of producing you know it's like yeah i don't know how I, much you know gaze stuff y'all are listening to but it's not really high on my spotify
0: i would assume that album like this with a, a like a, a grittier rougher production would would not have quite it the same work. effect yeah
1: right yeah like that, that's why i'm saying it's kind of fucking stupid but right. um well would it,
3: it would that be what they would sound like live i mean i mean maybe because if it's just that fuzzy bass, I mean, and I, I, I don't know. It, it might be I a total, total of, out. of looping pedals would be yeah. my 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 guess, but I have no idea. Hmm. I, I'm just looking at the. They came in at number seventeen on the Doom charts in April.
0: Did they really? I, I, that's yeah, another
3: one I must have just missed in April. Fuck. Yeah, we uh, we talked about it on the April Doom charts countdown just a little bit. I think Billy. Billy Goat picked a song from them to feature. Okay. And so we kind of had a conversation about them, but I'm looking at the little review Rich Piva wrote, and he says, uh, this album's gigantic, like a huge shadow overtaking the earth with all the heavy swirling guitars and their patented slow dive meets hum meets deftone sound that's taken to the next level. So that, that that's a couple more. Kind of shoegazy bands we didn't mention: Slow Dive and Hum. Which kind of makes sense. So, I'm really sorry. Go ahead, Dougie. Sorry. I I'm, I think I'm it's really... interesting. There's like the
1: playlist they're on on Spotify. Is is things like best of post metal, doom charts, new heavy and fast shoegaze, isolation medication, things like that. Tool rock inspired by Tool. <clears throat> All Was it new, heavy, alike. and
3: fast shoe gaze? <laughs> yeah, I don't
1: know. I I don't really understand fast shoe gaze. What that would be? <laughs> new heavy, yeah. Like heavy and new shoe gaze, I can get, but fast shoe gaze doesn't really
3: make a lot of sense. And this isn't fast. No. I don't. I wouldn't classify it as. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you gonna say, Pat?
5: Uh, I was really, it's, it's nice to hear Hum come up this many times in the conversation. I think Hum is a vastly underrated band. They had their moment, but I don't think they were ever fully appreciated. Um, and there's, I don't know, it doesn't sound like a, you guys listen to much shoegaze. I don't listen to a lot of shoegaze compared to shoegaze fans. There is some like really, really beautiful albums that have come out recently. Um, there's an album called The Shape of Everything by a band called Sum, S-O-M absolutely gorgeous and similar production values it is a little bit more textbook uh shoegaze but there's there's just a lot of really beautiful music coming out right now in the scene yeah i mean yeah. mine is mostly limited to, to black gaze <laughs>
1: um, i figured
0: as much anyway
1: yeah natural. i knew you were into black gaze yeah um you know like I, I think of bands like sylvain and alcest and stuff like that that are I, I think are closer related to spotlights in some ways than it, most of the other bands that we've covered on this pod you know um there's 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 like a an undercurrent of aggression to this whereas a lot of what we will cover is a little more out front with their aggression so i think that's maybe part of why it's jarring to us
8: yeah. I mean, it's not a traditional doom album at all. It's definitely has very doomy elements and, you know, as far as guitar tones and that like gigantic wall of, wall of, you know, distortion, you know, and, but at the same time, there's a lot more going on. Like, you know, we, we keep bringing our bands like hum and filter and things like that. And like all these wacky categories they're getting typecast into, but like somehow they all work and they all apply. And, it's definitely, I think, you know, like you said, it's a little bit outside of our wheelhouse and stuff that we normally do. So we're all kind of like at a little bit of a loss for words, I feel like, um, because we don't have a lot of experience. Like, Hum is a, a perfect example. Like, that's an amazing band that almost nobody knows about. They, You know, greatest comeback story of all time. Name a band that put out an album 20 years later that was just as good as the stuff they were putting out when they were, you know? Right. that never happens, you know? So there's but, definitely nothing you know, this, like this album specifically is just, it's really, it's a really strange new flavor. They're all just like it's, that. Umami. What is that? What's going on here? Like
0: there, there's definitely nothing stoner about this album either oh God, no. I, until when she started playing that bass in that documentary part, then I was like, Oh, I get how we might talk about this on here. It, I, it was so fucking fuzzy and like, just like, yeah. she she even said something about it what, what did she, she said something about uh like, the like <laughs> but uh i was like oh okay at least there's at least there's that
3: <laughs> that i was gonna say that when he when he did his little cuts on the guitar during that like opening section i was like dude i like that just the sound of what he did just right there almost like better than the songs on the album like yeah just the yeah. guitar yeah, the alone was a
0: couple songs the that they played cut of that in i album. was like oh I, I must. Have, I got to go back and listen to this album again after that.
8: <laughs> well, it was like Blake was saying with like maybe you know cut, cutting back on the production and putting things out a little bit raw. Like I'm kind of bummed I didn't get to see these guys live a couple weeks ago when they were in town because probably have a you know much better perspective currently. But it would be nice to hear like you know just guitar and bass and not. Because, you know, like you said, it's a beautiful piece of artwork, but it's got to be tough mm-hmm. to do exactly what you hear on the record live.
3: I, I'll bet you that they're pretty good live, but I bet it's a completely different, like, I bet they know how to play live just as a three-piece. Yeah, and there probably based, strong, song, super song selection funny. plays
8: into that, too, I would imagine. Because some of the stuff, like, it gets really out there, and it's really, like, there's, like, three or four guitar parts and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. is great for the album, but, you know... Unless you're hiring an orchestra behind you.
0: Yeah. You guys know a lot more about like, you know, set list selection and, and choosing the the songs that you play live for different reasons and different locations with opening for different bands and all that kind of stuff. But I I saw a band called D Mob Happy open for Uncle Acid. And D Mob Happy is like a very like alternative, like almost Queens of Stone Age, but even like probably more radio friendly than Queens of Stone Age band. And I saw them open for Uncle Acid. And they played, like, the fucking heaviest set that I've ever... heard, Heavier than any shit that they've ever put out on an album ever. And just, they changed their whole, ta- like, tone and everything. And so, I, I just have, like, this newfound appreciation for, like, changing, like, almost kind of, like, who you are, <laughs> depending on your audience. And, like, maybe who you're playing with or where you're at and stuff like that. So, like, a band like this, like, I do think that they could probably do kind of whatever they wanted live and they're probably a different band. I mean, if you listen to them on record versus live, like they might not necessarily be exact replicas of each other, but that's not always a bad thing. I mean, you you know, you're you're playing to your audience a little bit, you're playing to, if they're going out with the Melvins, I'm I'm sure they're playing a, you know, a different set than if they're playing with, you know, some other shoegazy band, you know?
8: That's exactly what I was just about to say. Like, it, I'm sure their set list when they were touring with Deftones is much different than it was when they were just touring with Melvin's and, sure. uh, yeah. you know, and if, if you have that versatility in your band, that's amazing, you know?
3: Yeah. yeah. I mean, they know how to play, so I think they could they could pull it off. Like, oh, somehow.
1: absolutely. Oh, yeah. They're clearly great musicians. Yeah. And, and I do think their songwriting is very good as well. You know, it's it's a little bit outside of what I would normally listen to. But I, I think that's part of the reward of listening to this album. You know, like I, I'm guessing that a lot of our our listeners are probably like us where we listen to a lot of the same shit. Um, and that's part of the merit of this album is that it's like, all right, this has got elements of what you listen to branch out a little bit and give something new a try. A
0: hundred percent. And I, I hope that that's always kind of the outcome of, of the Fuzz Club is that people go like, oh, I didn't know this about that. I'm going to go check this album out now.
8: It's a, it's a great segue album. If you're a Doom fan trying to get into, you know, some more shoegazier stuff and some more um, that 90s grunge revival feel, this is a great album or vice versa. If you're more of a shoegazy fan and you listen to like, you know, atmospheric ethereal music, you, this might be your you know you're a little bit of a segue for you to listen to some heavier stuff and those albums are amazing you know i don't think a lot of us would be here without albums like that in our childhood that were like oh this isn't a punk rock album but holy shit this is awesome you know
1: sure. bi-directional gateway drug <laughs> yeah
0: all right anything uh, else you want to say about this album any favorite moments or anything that you'd like to see them uh, improve upon for the next one or that they do really well or could do better or anything? Uh, I loved
8: that it just come came out of the gate swinging. That, that, I loved that. It just track one just kicked you right in your chest immediately. It was awesome. It was like I was hate 5 6 and somebody was trying to touch my camera.
3: <laughs> yeah.
8: Anybody? No? No, yeah. Just a terrible human? All right. <laughs>
3: What so? What do you? What about the artwork? It's the got some pretty oh man, gloomy was, artwork.
8: I
0: feel this like, like I think, think maybe the first another. episode that I, I have nothing for the artwork. I, I it's the maybe the first one that I don't have anything about it. Yeah, that
8: yeah. one kind of threw me off because it doesn't really look like, but like it, but it doesn't look like an album any of us would traditionally listen to the artwork wise. But it yeah. matches the album perfectly.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it gave I, me like I almost, almost like a new album. metal feel or something it reminded me of albums from 10 15 20 years ago yeah like, like a, the, font, the, the the imagery
8: everything about it i was kind of like, oh, yeah. okay. like cold chamber yeah
0: Ooh. yeah
8: <laughs> i kind of that almost era. was like it had like a like that like pop emo vibe like yeah i was personally yeah a little afi in there exactly yeah. yeah like that you know that that scribbly afi art exactly yep yep
3: I, I i picked up a little bit of like i almost i was thinking of new metal a little bit when i was listening to the album like i'm like this isn't is this do i hear new metal like That's that Deftones vibe, man it, like but it was like it's not you can't say this is like new metal like if you like new metal you're gonna like this like no. But it had something about it that yeah. reminded me of New Metal.
8: I feel like that's kind of the thing with this album in a lot of ways. Like if you're a, if you're a straight shoegaze fan, you might not like this record. If you're a straight doom fan, you might not like this record. But if you want to spread your wings a little and try something weird, maybe not just order the same damn thing off the menu all the time, this might be for you, you know.
3: Yeah. Try Umami. If if you're Umami baby, if, if you're a straight shoegaze fan, what is that saying about you? I don't... Is there straight shoegaze fans? There's straight shoegaze fans. That's all I, I shoe to, with shoegaze. Effects, like... right? I'm sure there is. <laughs> uh, I feel bad for, for straight shoegaze fans.
8: <laughs> Black A's fans, no. That's a fan group I can get behind.
3: <laughs> uh... All
0: right. Anything else about this album?
3: it's it's popular more popular than like we none of us is like our go-to thing but they have a following for sure yeah i noticed
0: that and and uh, i got to give another shout out to mario for for being very cool and sending that along and and responding to me and everything like that they were a lot bigger than i was expecting when i reached out and so i appreciate them sending that video over it helped a lot
3: well and and back to that video like you mentioned like how those types of videos like help bands like us kind of put put the pieces together yeah and just the fact that the band puts a video like that together like shows their like work ethic and their like marketability and like they're going to be more popular if you're doing that kind of stuff as a band like bands that like if they were just in their basements making this stuff and they don't they didn't give a shit about putting the video like that together and they're just making music they're Probably nobody would know about them.
2: Yeah,
8: it's in, it's super engaging and gives you um, a little bit of, you know, peek behind the curtains, which is always nice. It makes you feel like, you know, a little bit more personable with the band, but it also gives you a little bit of perspective on the production and things like that. Like, you know, we were talking about the drums. Like I would, I have a much different perspective going forward. I mean, honestly, I don't know how much I'm going to listen to this record going forward. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, but, you know, when it does come up, you know, I won't automatically just hate the drums now.
0: Yeah. Well, there's another 10 minutes out there if anyone wants to, to watch the documentary. So I probably I will finish
8: it up, out. honestly. Yeah. It's cool. I'd it love to see the rest of that. Version?
0: Huh? Is it better cut than your version? It's a it's a well, very well made documentary that I hacked to pieces just so everyone knows.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know, man. It's seamless, Ryan. <laughs> Great work. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I think that that's probably it for Spotlight's Alchemy of the Dead. Uh, everyone go check it out. I hope this inspired someone to go check out some new music and and reach out a little bit out of their comfort zone and listen to something new. So a perfect
8: album for that.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's go around and uh, everybody can tell us what you've been up to. Blake, you want to lead off?
1: Yeah, a lot coming down the pipeline. Um, by the time that this uh, episode is released, um, the split between IWAS and OX will be available for pre-order. Um, so check that out. Uh, that'll be via Black Throne Productions. Um, that will be released, uh, I believe, this August. Um, and then I will have more news uh, as soon as I'm able to disclose it about my uh, second album coming in the, the next few weeks. So i excited cool. to talk more about that. Awesome. Chris?
2: Uh, we're in the middle of writing our, we're doing a six song EP um, before we dive into a full length that we're doing with uh, God City Studios early next year. Um, but the EP, we're, we're excited to get Garney back from Europe because we got some stuff for him to uh, dive into on that. Yeah, We're actually shopping for a new basis right now. We have had the hardest time keeping basis, but um, we're actually talking with uh, Derek Lynch from the trailer, dude. Yeah, I know that's what we're going to have to do. Uh, Derek Lynch from Black Tusk and um, uh, Brian Ritchie from the sword. Both are really interested in the project um, and they're cool. just waiting for us to give them, give them the demos. So um, yeah. If you guys know any basis too, we're, we're looking for that perfect fit.
0: Cool. Speaking of Black Tusk, man, that's a that's a band that I saw live, and and they Amazing. are so much so much better live than on on record. They fucking blew my mind live, and on record, I was like, yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right, Bucky.
3: Yeah. Uh, um. Well, we just recorded the May Doom charts countdown last night, so we go over all the top ten and talk about. it. We talk for like two hours. It's it's a long one. If you guys are into podcasts, listening to just bullshitting about music like we're doing tonight. So do that every month and going to see all them witches tonight. They're going to do, they're doing, I don't know if you heard what their, their tour they're on right now. They're doing multiple nights in each town of full albums. So tonight they're doing lightning at the door in full front to back. So I'm pretty stoked to go there. There's a band, one of my favorite, like modern bands, and that their recording is awesome, and their live show is even more awesome. They just they they go into that just crazy trance like jamming territory that's like it's out of this world. Yeah. So excited for that! Cool, Eddie.
4: Uh, speaking of awesome live bands, I'm going to see Dead Quiet tonight in a tiny little pub. That should be yeah, quiet. quiet. Yeah.
0: Their um, new album is out like what? Like now? It's, yeah. Tomorrow? I don't know.
4: So hit right away here,
0: yeah. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, the endless yeah.
1: well, uh,
4: July twenty second. Um uh, recording the album in August. And Laura's just getting back together doing stuff here right away. Keep
5: trucking away at Cool. Bat. Uh, things on the Monster Riff website have slowed down as we uh, as I sort of Prep for my baby to get here next month, but uh, just dropped an awesome episode uh, with Brian. Uh, we, yeah. we attempted to create the ultimate Stoner Rock playlist in terms of being radio friendly. And I'm super happy with that playlist. That was a great episode. And by the time this episode comes out, we'll also have an excellent episode with Blake talking about uh, access points in uh, Doom Metal. I'm really happy with the way that episode turned out as well. And since Blake is repping a Monster Rift shirt, I will say I do have Monster Rift shirts available in weird sizes. Like if you want like a quadruple XL or something like that, I can get you one. So if anyone wants one, reach out to me uh, via the the website or Instagram and I'll, I'll, I'll give you Give me a couple more years and I'll, I'll buy that <laughs> shirt from you. As soon right, as great. I'm
8: done building my pirate ship.
5: <laughs> if you know any sailors, uh, I got masks <laughs> or whatever for him. <laughs> All right, Rob, what's up?
8: Um, Astronaut just finished recording. Well, not finished. We finished most of the recording uh, for our full length. Um, we're going to Helvetta next month to finish up in Portland. Um, we got a couple shows coming up with uh, Bong Wizard from Austin. Uh, we're playing with them in Denver at the Crypt and then at the Roughed Up Duck and Laramie the next night. That's June 21st and 22nd um other than that not a whole ton just excited to be done recording cool such a long process
3: yeah well oh, i might have to come check you out at the crypt
8: yeah yep yeah, yeah. 21st at the yeah. crypt yeah cool all righty
0: guys everybody go check out spotlights see you later later